This is 50 Feminist States, a road-tripping storytelling podcast visiting all 50 U.S. states to interview feminist activists and artists about their work for gender justice. I'm Amelia Fruby, and this week, we're in New Hampshire. From the glaciers of Alaska to the dunes of Indiana, I want 50 feminist states. From the waves of New Hampshire to skies of Montana, I want 50 feminist It's Amelia. It's hard to believe, but we're already halfway through season two of the 50 Feminist States podcast. I have been so excited to share these episodes with you, and I can't wait for what's coming next because it's fabulous. So far this season, we've heard about Native and Indigenous experience in Pennsylvania, learned about Palestine and anti-Zionist organizing in New York, listened to two women who had a lot to teach us about plants and climate change in Vermont. And last week, Mickey and Claudette shared their stories of immigrating to the U.S. from Africa and how they now work to better the lives of immigrant and refugee women in Maine. It's been a great season so far, and you can catch up on those episodes anytime at 50feministstates.com slash podcast. Again, that's 50feministstates.com slash podcast. Hear past episodes, check out show notes, and of course, you can always donate to support the work that I've been doing here with 50 Feminist States. This week, I'm talking to Crystal Parody, a feminist organizer and business owner in New Hampshire. I met Crystal through a course called Concepts and Conceptions, which is part of an online feminist business school organized by Jennifer Armbrust. It was a great experience. And during the course, I was really excited to hear about the business and community that Crystal is building uh, in Seacoast, New Hampshire. It's called Feminist Oasis. And now you're going to get to hear all about it, too. This week's episode is short and sweet, but you're going to learn a whole lot about feminist values in business and community and some fun facts about New Hampshire politics. Let's get on the road. Here's Crystal now. Yeah, so my name is Crystal Parody. Feminist Oasis right now, we're really in an exploratory phase, really the first one to three years. Um, and so right now we are organizing pop-up events all under the general umbrella of promoting intersectional feminism. So our mission, or what I call our ulterior motive, has really been building sustainable alternatives to white supremacist capitalist patriarchy. Um, so how we come at that is from sort of a fun angle. So our first event was a screening of Beyonce's Lemonade with a discussion of feminist theory afterwards with a couple of local professors from uh, the women's study programs in some of the local colleges. And that was really great because we had a thing that was really fun that people wanted to come to. It was branded as like Feminist Oasis. So people got, oh, this is a feminist community thing. And there was some education involved as well. So we try to take that model with a lot of different things that we do. I would say I was probably incubating the idea that became Feminist Oasis for about a year, specifically thinking about it that way. But my community organizing background really started about like 10 years ago, just before I moved back here to New Hampshire from Honolulu, where I was living at the time. So I was living out there and, you know, so I'm 35 now. So I guess I was 25, had had like a lot of different jobs, just mostly retail stuff, working in coffee shops. I had I had had a couple years of college and then just like been working two and three jobs at a time, making ends meet for a really long time. And I got this job at um, a place 
called Hawaii Primary Care Center, and there's one in every state, and they do a lot of legislative and administrative work on behalf of community health centers. And so that was like my very first introduction to this thing called a safety net and that policies exist to help people. Um, and when I was growing up, we were on food stamps and stuff, but we didn't ever go to the doctor because I don't think we knew that community health centers existed and that there's this thing that people can go to if they don't have money to get medical care. So that was really my first introduction into like, you know, things that really matter to support a community because I had just been sort of trying to make ends meet myself for a while. And I ended up moving back here and starting a lot of just organizing events in general. So like when Foursquare was a thing, I was organizing meetups through there and meeting people through like, you know, Twitter lists and Twitter meetups. And um, I don't think called Portsmouth Breakfast Club where we met at 648 a.m. every Wednesday just to like hang out and talk about social media and marketing. Um, and it it definitely I was also volunteering in a community health center at the time as well. And through volunteering there, I ended up getting a job in digital marketing areas. Um, so they they sort of started to merge this like community organizing, digital marketing, and and I started getting more and more activist as well. So about three or four years ago, um, I was at a marketing agency job, um, and I was getting more and more what's the word? I was getting more and more upset about what I had to do every day. Uh, we were working for big corporations, um, some of which were not distinctly problematic, but then we got a really big client that was a gun manufacturer. So I started um, actually getting really depressed and not even realizing it at my job there because I was having to like marinate my brain in gun selling language all day. So I started, this was in 2015, I started doing a lot of more activism outside of work in for Planned Parenthood and in democratic politics and Hillary Clinton's primary campaign in New Hampshire New Hampshire is a huge primary state, presidential primary state. It's the first in the nation primary. So I started doing a lot more of that stuff outside of work, and it just was really conflicting with what was happening at my day job. And so this sort of came to a head in June of 2016 when the Orlando shooting happened, and I had been really struggling already with when am I going to leave this job? It's clearly not right for me, and had had really pushed a conversation with my boss around like we need to have community engagement programs and things to make us feel better about working at this place. And I sort of like forced a meeting with him where I was like, here's all these really cool ideas I have about how we can do better things for the community. I was the director of communications at the time. And I was like, you know, I'm in this role for a reason. Clearly, you know, I care about the community and was really handed an ultimatum of like, you can either keep doing all this work you're doing in the community or you can keep this job. And so I was like struggling with that. And the Orlando shooting happened and I just like lost it because, I mean, I don't know if you were watching TV that day, but there was a lot of really rough coverage. And um, there was a mother, I remember, like looking at the video camera, just sobbing into it. She was outside of a hospital waiting to see if her son had made it or not. And she was just saying, we have to do something about guns in this country. And I was just crying and I was like, I have to quit. I have to quit tomorrow. And I walked in and I just quit. And I was like, I can't be here for another minute. I can't send another email in service of this company. I don't understand why anyone else can sit in this company any longer working for this gun company who ended up being um, the manufacturer that made the gun that the Orlando shooter used. So that was really the big impetus into me 
quitting that whole career path and being like, I'm, I'm going to be doing something that I care about for the rest of my life. And if that means I have to go back to working at coffee shops to pay my bills and continue organizing for stuff I believe in, I'll do that. But then I ended up getting a job uh, working to elect Hillary Clinton. So within a month, I was working for the New Hampshire Democrats and the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2016, which was quite the experience, as you might imagine. And so it was the year after that, 2017, that I was really thinking about like, I know I want to do something that has to do with feminism and supporting women and trying to prove that you can make a living and not compromise your values because of that experience that I'd had. Events is sort of my background. Um, Yeah, I was like, let's just start with events. I have like three or four or five or six event series in my head and we'll just start listening to the community and seeing what, what the community needs and reshape our messaging and mission from there. So we're still in that, in that space. Yeah. So um, after the Lemonade event, we had um, an intergenerational feminist discussion, which was really, really great. We had three panelists starting um, from a high school aged young woman all the way up to a woman in her 80s who had been um, a medical doctor, one of the first women in her classes and colleges to be a woman studying medicine. And we it was a really interesting discussion just on like the women's movement in general and different perceptions across generations. And we really encouraged people to bring someone at least 15 years older or younger than them to the event. We gave them a discount if they did. So there were a lot of like mother daughter or like, you know, just cross generational friendships of people that came. Um, so that was one event. Another series that we've been doing is our feminist waffles work co-working series, which starts off with a workshop. Uh, we pick a different topic every week and, and discuss it in relation to, you know, our businesses. Most of us are freelancers and entrepreneurs that go there and we sort of talk about how do we, how do we break down certain feminist values into our work? So we've probably had like 30 or 40 of those sessions. The community, it's really different depending on each event. So we, we have, gained a small membership group that's pretty consistently showing up to a lot of them. Um, And I'd say that probably closely, most closely overlaps with the co-working sessions. So it's usually people who are freelancers, entrepreneurs, and really interested in like bringing feminist values into their business life. But then there's also people that just find us online and want to come to a feminist event. So um, are more entertainment related ones like the lemonade event and stuff people will just show up because they're interested in it um we've also been doing book clubs and that's also bringing people there's actually a man that lives near well about an hour away and he drives down to every single book club because he he somehow found that lemonade event online the first time and he was flipping through bell hooks feminism is for everyone book at that event and he saw that it was like, oh, this is for men too. Like men are allowed to talk about this. I want to learn more about it. He was really interested in learning what different people think. So he just comes to every book club wanting to learn more. And so I think there's there's a really pretty big range from people who are just like, I think I want to know more about what feminism is and I don't know. So I want to come and just learn. And then people who are like all in on, I want the entire world to be feminist. How can I make it that way with my business or my slice of whatever industry I'm working in? Um, and also just people who want a break from the patriarchy. (laughs) After hearing Crystal talk about the community she's nurturing through Feminist Oasis, I asked if she thought that Feminist Oasis was representative of New Hampshire as a whole, or if the community really came together because feminists needed a break or a safe space or an oasis for themselves in New Hampshire. Her answer is full of really fascinating facts about the state, and it gave me a whole lot to think about. 
Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> I think, um, or I know, the state of New Hampshire is, um, it's not all one thing across the state. We have the largest uh, state body. I think worldwide, it's like number two or three behind British Parliament and and maybe one other elected body. It's 400 um, state reps in our state house. There was a pretty, um, I was going to say hilarious, and then I was like, no, it was actually very sad. But, well, it was a very interesting thing that happened. A couple of years ago, somebody was elected because, like, nobody was running in this very, very small town. And there were, like, two people whose names were written in that weren't even running. And they called one guy and were like, hey, do you want to do it? And he was like, no. And they called the other guy and were like, congratulations, you're our representative. So it's it's an easy state to run in, uh, but it's also... It's just kind of like a very weird state politically. It's it's a pretty um, accessible state house, I would say. Um, but we also, in after the 2012 election, we became the first state in the nation to have an all-women delegation. So both of our senators and both of our – we have two congressional reps in New Hampshire were women and a women governor was, was put into place at that time as well. So – our entire delegation, including governor, were all women. It's been a pretty, pretty liberal state when it comes to like we had civil unions pretty early on before gay marriage started really taking taking off across the country. Um, abortion rights have always been pretty okay in the state of New Hampshire, with the exception of like the flip flopping on Planned Parenthood funding. Um, which has been going back and forth for a long time. But I think because of that, like the culture of New Hampshire is very, it sets the stage for gender equality to succeed if there's enough people pushing for it. Like, And the, the intersectional part of feminism that we have a lot of work to do to talk to people about in the state of New Hampshire, um, part of that is I think New Hampshire is – a pretty white state, New Hampshire sees itself and talks about itself as a white state, almost as a way to like get out of representing people of color. I mean, starting with our state motto, live free or die, the layers of unpacking the white supremacy in that motto and what was actually happening here in New Hampshire, how many people were not free when Patrick Henry said this thing and everyone was like, oh, yes, of course. <laughs> um and I think in the seacoast, to go back to your <laughs> original question about like, is Feminist Oasis a reflection of our area? I think the seacoast is definitely a more liberal bubble in the state as a whole. Um, so there definitely is that community here. But I think even our name, Oasis, is reflective of we all need this break. <laughs> and I think there's more people that believe like you do, no matter what you believe, than you ever know really because so many people keep it under wraps of what they believe politically or socially um there's always probably a lot more community out there for you than people realize so part of it is like bringing people together because they already exist and and the other part of that is like doing outreach to people who may not align with us already and there's some convincing on our part and education on our part of responsibility to be like this is why this is good for everyone <laughs> and it's not just people sitting here being like let's let's take a break from the culture there's it's more let's recharge together and like build our voices so that we can go out there and, and get real work done and especially doing work as a feminist activist like doing work here where there's 
there's not really anyone else doing that around here um, in specifically sort of the angle that I'm coming at it. It's really exciting for me to like build a community here. I just, I love the challenge of like bringing together all those different people, different voices that are doing really great work in different areas and putting sort of like a fun spin on it um, and getting everyone in a room together talking. I love this emphasis that Crystal closes on about bringing people together, different people, different voices, doing work in different areas, but the ways that they can come together through Feminist Oasis and through feminist community building uh, to talk about what matters to them in their lives, both in New Hampshire and I think even on a more like national and global scale. Thanks so much to Crystal for being on the podcast. Thanks to you for tuning in. Again, you can find show notes at 50feministstates.com slash podcast. And if you want to support the work that this podcast is doing, you can do that as well. There is a support link on the 50 Feminist States website where you can donate to help cover costs like web hosting, podcast hosting, equipment, and then more travel for more episodes. We'll hear more about that as the season continues. For now, go ahead and head to 50feministstates.com slash podcast to hear more. Next week, we'll be in Massachusetts where I spoke with three wonderful women who are doing really rad work around witchy politics uh, and decolonizing your witchy politics. That's coming up next. Until then, I'll see you on the road. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of 50 Feminist States. You can find show notes at 50feministstates.com slash podcast and follow us on Instagram at 50feministstates. Special thanks to Danielle Sines and Jessica Neria for our theme song. Until next time, wild ones, we'll see you on the road.